You're listening to the Million Dollar Sellers Podcast with your host, Nick Shuquette. Today's show features another amazing entrepreneur who has found success online. Now, let's learn what it takes to be a million-dollar seller. All right. Welcome to the Million Dollar Sellers Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Shuquette. And today we have Brandon on the call. Super excited to have you on here, man. Uh, why don't you let the listeners know where, where you're at today, where you're calling in from? Uh, so I'm calling in from Long Island, New York. Nice. So how long have you been uh, in New York? Uh, so I grew up in New Jersey um, and then uh, I moved in with my wife in the city uh, in Manhattan, East Village for a while. And then what about three years ago after we had our first uh, baby, uh, we moved out here and uh, we've been here ever since. Cool, man. How's uh, life in New York treating you during these interesting times? Uh, it's okay. I'm happy. Uh, we, we bought a house in, uh, in August. So I'm happy or September. I'm happy to finally be in a place with more space. <laughs> That's for sure. I, I can't imagine being in like that small apartment in Manhattan during all this, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's been, be yeah, it's been, it's been fine though. So are you, do you work from home? You got an office? Uh, how are you doing that? Uh, I do a little bit of both. So I, I have an office at home uh, that I work out of, out of the basement. Um, and then I have my own office in a co-working space uh, a few towns over that I actually share with another MDS member. Um, and uh, we just kind of uh, go in occasionally, probably both of us. It's We say we both have an office, but we're rarely there together at yeah. the same time. Um, but we go in, you know, once or twice a week, I guess I would say. Okay. Cool, man. So is, uh, is, is Amazon like your first, your first thing as an entrepreneur? Did you try anything else before that? Uh, yeah, no, I've, uh, I've been doing entrepreneurial stuff for quite a while. Um, so I guess I'll start by saying I had my first website, like in the early mid nineties, um, and with a friend of mine in high school, and it was an NCSA Mosaic cool site of the day, which is like really dating us, uh, me quite a bit. Um, but, uh, and that was probably the first you know time I tried to start something uh, and it did pretty well, but we were in high school, so we really didn't do anything with it. So we probably could have like done a lot more with it and cashed out in the dot-com boom, but uh, I was kind of concerned with other things. Um, and after graduating, I um, tried to start another company that was basically seamless or Grubhub, but like way, 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 way early. Um, And that just had no shot of working out. There weren't even cell phones then, like people used for anything like that. Like it was just way too early. Um, And then I I started an e-commerce site selling oil paintings, uh, which is my first e-commerce site. And um, it did okay. And uh, I ran that for a couple of years and I was basically beating my head against the wall, trying to make that work. Um, and the reason why I picked oil paintings was because I had them made to order. So I didn't have to pay for any inventory or order anything from companies or drop ship or do anything like that. Uh, and, and this was in, uh, you know, the mid two thousands and there was no Shopify set up and it was still pretty early for that kind of thing. Um, but it was really hard. And, uh, one day I went to a meeting, um, where I, uh, in the city which, where a bunch of other, uh, companies were there that, you know, were big galleries that were selling paintings or selling all kinds of things online. And they, the person who was talking about, uh, um, e-commerce in the art space and they were like, okay, raise your hand if you sold a hundred dollars online and like some hands went up and then they were like, raise your hands if you sold a thousand dollars online and me and like 
four hands went up and I was like, all right, I got to get out of this. Like, because <laughs> it was like people from like literally like the top galleries in the world, people who had like, you know, so much money at their disposal versus like, you know, 20 something year old me in my, you know, room like working it was just like well if they can't make it work then there's just no way i'm going to be able to make this work for myself so i went to law school um at that period and i passed the bar um but i never practiced because during law school i started selling my books on amazon and i realized there was something to this whole amazon thing and you know fast forward a few years later i started my amazon business and here i am today wow i did not i had no <laughs> idea you went to school to be uh, a lawyer i didn't yeah. know that I passed the bar in New York and New Jersey too. Wow. That's intense, man. Uh, yeah. So that's pretty cool, man. It's a good journey where like you, you tried a bunch of different, you know, you tried a few different things and, you know, kind of stumbled, stumbled into Amazon. It sounds like, which I think is, is super cool. I feel like I was kind of like, I was kind of like forced into entrepreneurship. Right. And, and I kind of got lucky with like finding eBay and Amazon and, didn't really try too much before that. I had like a landscaping thing that I was doing, but um, I love hearing the story of just like trying and trying and trying and, you know, you enter all these challenges, but you just keep pushing through, right? Like that's the critical factor to success as an entrepreneur, right? Like just don't, just don't freaking give up and uh, something will work out. Do you I feel mean, like you were, go, go ahead. Go no, ahead. I'd say yes and no. I feel like I probably from my art uh, my oil painting business, I should have given up much earlier. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, you know, definitely keep trying, but don't, don't be afraid to pull the plug if it's just not working. Right. Yeah, definitely. Don't be afraid to pivot for sure. Um, do, where do you feel like that kind of drive came from to be an entrepreneur? I mean, did you feel that way? Like as a kid that you were like determined to do something big or was your family doing their own type of thing? What motivated you to chase that? I, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, I mean, my, my dad was a lawyer and he was in business for himself and his dad was an accountant and he was in business for himself. And, um, so I think I kind of never, I kind of saw like no one in my family and even on my mom's side, my grandfather was a, a, a sales rep for like a mattress company. So he was kind of always out and about doing his own thing. So I, I never really, like, I guess modeling growing up saw like either, my parents or grandparents in any capacity, like working a nine to five job continuously for someone else. So I, I don't know if there was ever like a point where I was like, I'm dying to be an entrepreneur, but I think it was kind of built into me a little bit. And, you know, I, I cut out a little bit in my journey, but I had some jobs in there and there were points where I'm like, yeah, I was like, okay, this is fun. This is good. I can do this. And then it was like, but forever, like, right. <laughs> um, and, and I remember I, I, um, after I graduated college, I lived in London for uh, six months and that was probably like the longest that I actually worked anywhere. Just cause you know, when you're in school, you're working for a few months here, a few months there. And when I was in London, I was working for six months straight. And I remember like, you know, towards the end of my time there, it was just like, I, I can't believe people do this like forever. <laughs> like, uh, it's really, you know, it's hard. Um, and I, that's, I think maybe that was more of the germination than anything else. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of how, like, I, I always felt too growing up, like, man, I cannot do this forever. You know, like requesting time off and, you know, like one day I'm going to have kids and I'm going to want to spend time with them. And like, you know, what if it's my son's birthday? Like, and I have to go to work. Like, I don't want to, 
And if I do have to go to work, at least it's me making the decision, right? Like, exactly. you know, Hey son, I got to go into work today. Why don't you come in with me and like, you know, see yeah. what dad does or something like that. Right. Um, but yeah, the idea of, of working for someone else forever definitely, you know, pushed me to try different things and kind of rebel against school and things like that, man. I kind of got out of school pretty early. Um, so, I mean, how do you feel about like where you are, are now in that sense? Like you feel pretty good that you've like taken control of your business. Obviously you've been successful selling on Amazon, doing over a million dollars in revenue. Uh, what's life look like for Brandon right now? Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Um, you know, I'm kind of at a point now where I, I, a little bit of a crossroads where I need to figure out uh, how I want to grow or, or what my next move is. Um, I think as you keep growing, there's always different challenges ahead. Uh, and I'm kind of feel like I'm at a little bit of that, that pivot point right now where, uh, you know, when I was, you know, selling a lot less, uh, it was easier to manage more myself or with a smaller team. And now that as I'm, as I keep growing, it's, it's getting harder to do that. Uh, and it's taking too much of my time to do things that, you know, don't really bring money into the business. So it's kind of what I've been trying to focus on, on fixing a little bit. So what, what, what are some different things you're thinking about doing? What are these uh, other pivots you're looking at? Uh, well, it, it's really just like, you know, so much, I mean, I, I sell in Europe, I sell in Canada, I obviously sell in the United States, Mexico, uh, and with Brexit and just a lot of the, you know, compliance issues that have kind of cropped up over the last year. I feel like a lot of my time has been just spent dealing with that and dealing with figuring out like how we're importing goods into UK or dealing with the responsible person rule in Europe or just a lot of, a lot of minutia that, you know, it, it's, it, they're all, nothing's too crazy where it's like, oh, that's nothing, but everything requires like a bit of time yeah. and is important because you're dealing with government entities. So it, it kind of has been sapping a lot of my output over the last few months for sure. Yeah. I imagine some of that stuff probably would be difficult to outsource, right? Like, especially dealing with those government authorities, like you want to get exactly. that stuff right. Exactly. Um, you feel like it's been worth it though, you know, selling on these other marketplaces, like are the numbers yeah. making I mean, you feel good about it? I wouldn't do it if I didn't think it was worth it. And as much as I complain about the laws and the new regulations in Europe for a lot of things, I think it's amazingly helpful in that it cleans up the marketplace and makes it so there's less fly-by-night sellers, uh, less scammers, less people selling counterfeits. Um, and it also creates a bit of a barrier entry to entry because it's a lot more expensive to get started there now than it, than it was years ago. So for me, like, while it's challenging and difficult and annoying, you know, once I'm out the other side, it's going yeah. to be a lot easier because there's going to be a lot less competition. And it's going to be a lot easier to grow. Yeah. And hopefully I imagine I haven't dealt with a bunch of like the other government organizational stuff like you are, but I imagine as you're able to take a step back from some of this stuff, like you might be able to outsource some of that stuff. Right. And, and plug someone else into it. You would think, but I mean, it's yes and no. It's just, there's a lot of, you know, like don't, you don't do anything. And then it's like, Hey, we need these six documents now. And then you've got to like dig into your tax returns or dig in for some kind of, certificate from the state of New York showing that you're 
okay as an entity and things like that where it's not necessarily easy to outsource because it's like you need to like request the right document from the state authority and then scan it and then sign it and fax it and it's just there's a lot of little stupid steps but I, I'm, I'm i'm hopeful to to kind of pull out the side but the, the yeah. point of the point of a lot of it is saying that you know i i understand i need to be doing it it's hard to outsource but it doesn't mean necessarily that like our our marketing should suffer or anything else should suffer because i have to handle all that right now right did Amazon help you get uh, with any of that global expansion? I know they have those programs where like the guy, you know, the people from Amazon Global will reach out to you and, and they'll kind of help with some things. Did I mean, you go that route. So I would say along the way they had. Um, but, you know, I've been selling in Europe for a while now, so it's not like I've, I've just started selling. I've been selling for four or five years now. Okay. Um, but really, in terms of Brexit and the new rules and restrictions in place, I would say they did the they did the exact opposite of help. Um, they they only made things harder, more difficult, more complicated. Um, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> right, and I'm assuming the U.S. is still probably a majority of your your sales, like probably significantly. If I was going to guess, it's definitely the majority. Um, significantly, I'm not so sure about. It. I, I okay. mean, my, my between Europe and Canada, uh, and every year. For me, my Europe and Canada stuff keeps growing uh, against the U.S. stuff. So at this point, it's it's not evenly split, but it's getting closer and closer to that. Nice. Well, yeah, that's definitely exciting. Yeah. Seems like it's still kind of, uh, like you mentioned, like it's just less competitive, less fly-by-night sellers, a uh, little harder, bar bigger barrier of entry to get in there. Exactly. Um, I got on the U.K. stuff, man. I had someone from Amazon get in touch with me a while ago. And, you know, they connected me with like Flexport and uh, helped me get set up with that and stuff like that. But I kind of dropped the ball and and didn't really follow through with it. Um, I think, I think they still send me, I still get letters from what, what's the HKUMC? HMRC. Oh, HMRC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're still hitting me with letters and stuff. I got to, I probably should take care of that. <laughs> yeah, they, they they don't quit. I've been under audit for uh, what's now 27 months. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they don't quit. <laughs> okay. Jeez. Yeah. So like what, like a, like a, like a tax audit? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah, it doesn't uh, sound any fun. No, but that's, that's another one of those things where I'm just like, I need to produce documents or find data for them or, or something. And you know, it's difficult because especially with the pandemic, they there's not like one person assigned to your case. It's like a team of people and those team of people just kind of rotate based on oh, wow. various things. So a lot of times it's explaining the same things to different people that you've explained before or clarifying things or having them understand things. And like they don't really understand e-commerce. Um, so like we had like a, a determination, which I guess is like they're preview of what it could possibly be that I would owe. And like one of the things on there was they were saying that you owe X amount of money for not paying VAT on these orders. And me having to explain to them that those were all uh, replacement items that I sent out. And then that, that, you know, they didn't, we didn't collect VAT because we didn't collect money. So okay. we didn't pay money on that. So, and we don't have to. And then they have to have me go back and they selected like 20 different orders. And I had to go find the conversations with each of the people where I'm explaining to them that I'm sending them a replacement item. Oh, wow, man, that's intense. And that that's just like a piece of what it is. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, what's some of the more, like, what's some of the more exciting stuff that you, you do in your business? Like, what, what do you really enjoy doing, uh, in the Amazon business? So I like, I guess I like a few things. I love picking out new products. I like, uh, doing the research and trying to find like a little niche inside of, uh, you know, the, the broader niche. I sell kitchenware, so it's pretty competitive. Uh, there's just tons of different options on there. So I, I love looking and digging in and trying to find those, those little niches and, and, creating a product around them and creating the page and like marketing the page towards, towards that. Um, other than that, you know, I, I, I generally enjoy just running the business in general outside of all of that compliance stuff, um, you know, pulling the levers on marketing, pulling the levers on, uh, on sales and, and trying to, to make things grow. Um, you know, I, I generally enjoy that. I, I get a thrill. Sometimes I look at the order page and see orders coming through for a new product, like that I just put on. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that I really enjoy. Nice, man. So what's your, uh, what's your team look like? Do you have some virtual assistants, anybody locally? So, uh, I guess I have a bunch of people right now. So I have a, um, a sourcing agent in China, um, that I use, um, she's not exclusive to me, but, uh, they handle all the sourcing needs that I have. Um, and then in the Philippines, I have a VA, uh, who handles a lot of the uh, like order processing, let's say off of Shopify or Fair or Wayfair. We saw in a, and Walmart, and just we saw in a bunch of marketplaces and kind of making sure those all run smoothly. Um, a lot of that's automated, but some of it is like just needs like a manual touch and doing customer service. And then I, I have a uh, another VA which I've recently hired uh, who handles with like uh, tracking shipments and creating labels um, and keeping track of cost of goods. Um, and, and just keeping things orderly so we can we make sure that we're, we're tracking what we're doing, what we're ordering, um, and keeping good numbers and good tabs on what we're doing. Um, I've got a bookkeeper. Um, I have an accountant, which obviously everyone pretty much has. Um, and then I have a, uh, two PPC agencies that I use, one for the U.S. and then one for Europe. Okay. Um, and I think that's everybody. Yeah. Nice. So, yeah, you definitely got a good-sized team, man. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. I, uh, you know, I, I enjoy seeing those orders come in too, man, especially when you get something new, uh, and it works out and you find like, you realize that you found that exciting niche and it's kind of cool. Cause I get to see that with doing the brand management stuff where, yeah. you know, we bring on a new brand and it's like a completely different niche that, uh, you know, I didn't even really know about or something like that. And you start to see, like what, what type of people are buying these products? I like to look at that frequently bought together section mm -hmm. and you can kind of start to discover like, Oh, wow. You know, these people that do like lawn treatment are using this product. And I never even expected that, you know, lawn treatment guys would use this product or something like that. Uh, Amazon reveals like some pretty interesting things about people and what they're looking for and what they're buying have you come across like anything really weird that like sticks out to you or you're just like, Oh man, I can't believe, you know, that's going on right now or that they're buying this product or using it for this reason. Um, yeah, all the time with our products. Um, you know, some of our products have, especially during the pandemic have been like repurposed as like mask holders or, or things like that. Um, you know, we've gotten a lot of, you know, customer when they, you know, uh, reviews or, uh, support issues where they're using our product. And I'm like, well, why would you use it like that? And yeah. like, of course it's going to break or something like that. Or um, there, there's always something, um, you know, one woman complained that our product broke and then she wouldn't be able to take care of her special needs parrot. 
and like I didn't even know such a thing existed. Um, you know, the things every day come across that I'm surprised that they're being used for, or even in, in a lot of ways, also surprised that people find utility for. Um, you know, some products that I thought looked nice, people uh, will, will chime in and just in write and be like, I'm so glad you made this product because it helps me because I have uh, Parkinson's or I have some other con some condition and your product is the only one that I found that I can use or, or something like that. So like there, there's always amazing ways that people find to use products that I, I have never thought of, at least when I was designing them or picking them. Nice. Yeah. That's exciting that, you know, you're, it's a good, it feels good to like create products that, you know, make someone's life better. Like that's exactly. Uh, do you, do you think that's like a big part of, of what you enjoy doing in the business as well? Like finding that niche where you can really provide something that people need. Yeah. Yeah. Really providing something unique. Um, it's easy to look at Amazon and think that like you can't um, because there's just so much out there, but there's really so many product variations and so many ideas that, that can exist and, and that you can come up with, or even products that maybe the person who launched them on Amazon just failed at it. And, yeah. and, but it's still a great product and, and trying again with, you know, my marketing uh, can make that become a big product. Um, so that kind of thing happens all the time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I really do enjoy that aspect of it for sure. Yeah. And you know, you, you said something, it makes me think about like how the landscape of Amazon is changing right now. And I think a lot of guys like us who have been in it for a while, we've like, you know, we see people say like, Oh, it's getting competitive. It's getting competitive. But like, I, in my opinion, it really is just now starting to get mm -hmm. competitive where you see these really big companies starting to get uh, you know, starting to play the game, like people with some really, really deep pockets. Yeah. And uh, now I am starting to get actually a little concerned. Like it's not just, you know, mom down the street that started reselling on Amazon. It's like some multi-billion dollar company that just bought 10 businesses and exactly you know, now they're your competitor. Um you know, so like, did you kind of think that way before? Like, oh man, it's getting competitive. I mean, it's gotten harder, right? Like it's gotten harder to launch a product, but what's your opinion on kind of the landscape of Amazon now? So what I would say is like, I don't think it deters me at all. So, so I would say a few, what was it? Three or four years ago, one of the, the big companies, they're still out there. Uh, I'm not going to say they are, but they, they're still out there. And they've become this massive company and they were pretty big back then. Uh, but they copied one of my products exactly. Wow. And I was like, I was really angry. And they and they were charging a lot less for it to the point where they're making almost no profit margin on it. They were just trying to, to churn sales, basically, probably to inflate their numbers for their investors or, or what have you. And it was really tough. And I went in there and I started advertising on their listing and advertising heavy on their listing. And I started taking all their customers. And uh, it, it was a point where I looked and it was like, I was taking about a, like 120 to 150 sales a month, just advertising on their listing with my exact same product that cost double the price to a point where they ended up discontinuing the product because they couldn't make it work. Wow. Uh, and I won. <laughs> um, not to say that's gonna happen all the time, but when that happened, it made me a lot less scared of bigger players in the space trying to put muscle behind products that maybe will compete with me. Yeah, um, that that's cool, man. Um, so you said you had a higher, higher price product. 
you're doing some product target product targeting ads yeah. on their listing. Uh, what do you think like grabbed the consumer's attention? Was it the title? Was it the image? Was it, what, what so, do you think it was? There were a few things. Uh, the title was better. The image was better. Reviews were a lot better. Uh, okay. one, of the, one of the big mistakes that they made was they, there are two versions of the product and they took the version that breaks more often. Okay. Uh, and had they read the reviews of my product, which they apparently didn't, they would have not done that because I did that at first and I switched very quickly. Uh, and so their reviews kind of didn't really take off as well as mine did. Um, but I already had a big head start in terms of number of reviews. I had, a, I obviously had better review, you know, star rating, better title, better pictures, better copy. Um, right. So like in every regard, I, I thought I outperformed them other than them willing, being willing to charge a lot less for the product. Okay. And to be fair, I lowered my price a couple dollars back then too, uh, okay. just to make it a little more competitive, but I was still definitely much higher than they were. Nice, man. I tell you what, I learned the lesson the hard way that having a lower price does not lead to more sales on Amazon. <laughs> Sometimes, not all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got, I got beat up on a product where, you know, I, I thought I could kind of bully my way in there by being the lowest price person. And it just didn't work out that way. Um, it was in a pretty competitive niche too. So, um, you know, I, I won't, I would definitely won't rely on that. I think it, it boils down to, to that marketing strategy, right? Like that launch strategy and getting your, getting yourself mm -hmm. in there that way and then maintaining that position. And from what I saw, the low price was not, it didn't really move the needle that much uh, for me. So that's, that's uh, exciting to hear that you kind of had a similar experience where you were able to maintain a higher price yeah. um, and, and uh, capture those customers uh, still. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it definitely does matter. And something I try to look for in a niche is try to pick a niche where prices are kind of all over the map. Okay. So just, you know, some niches you'll look at and everything is, I don't know, 1799 and, or somewhere around there. And then obviously there's not much you can do price wise, but if you're picking a niche where like, I don't know, the metal one is 24 and then the granite one is 58 and then, right. And they're just kind of all over the map. You have a lot of room to price yourself, uh, and to come up with a price based on, the fact that people are willing to pay varying prices for varying kinds of units. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's definitely a super good tip, man. I always try to keep like a, like a list of things that we should look at when we're doing product mm -hmm. research. Um, Cause I, I enjoy that part too. And uh, we've got a pretty long list of stuff that we look at. Uh, yeah, me too. And, and I have like, we do look at like the different prices, but I guess I've never really given it, that much thought of like, Hey, you know, the, they're all over the place, man. So this is actually a good signal that the mm -hmm. price is all over the place. Yeah. I have a, a column in our, on our research sheet, just like price variability. And then like, okay. I'll dig in before we start ordering samples. But like, yeah, it's, it's definitely a big piece that I look at. Nice. Then are you, so are you managing that just like in a, a Google sheet, Excel yeah. sheet? Yeah. I have a pretty intense process like to find products. Um, and I look at, obviously, like you do like a lot of different metrics to figure out what I want to sell and what I don't want to sell. Um, and, and a lot of that was I, before COVID hit, I used to go to the Canton Fair every year. Uh, and before you go, it really pays to have your research just done and knowing exactly what you're looking for. So a lot of it came out of preparing for that. But, uh, you know, I ordered a bunch of samples this year and I didn't even do the research 
you know, really because I just kind of knew intuitively based on previous research what niches I wanted and what were good. And I couldn't go to the Canton Fair. So I just ordered a bunch of uh, catalogs from my current suppliers and figured I'd just go that way. Um, but like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a pretty intricate process, I would say, for sure. Did you ever do any sourcing on like Alibaba or any in other? In the very beginning, sites? yeah. Yeah, in the very beginning. So how do you think that compares to actually going over to China, getting to know them? And it, not, it does not even, between that and I have a sourcing agent now who also can help find products between all of that, there's nothing that's even remotely comparable. It's, yeah, it's, it's so much better. Um, I hated Alibaba, I hate using it. Uh, so I'm, I'm like overjoyed that it's something I don't have to do anymore really. Um, yeah, it seems like there's these guys like they've got to be like kind of arbitraging Alibaba. Right? Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're like sourcing it from someone else, like on 1688 or Alibaba. Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. And it makes it like so. I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll do a little research on there. If let's say there's a niche I'm looking into and get an idea for products, but I won't actually contact anyone. I'll forward it to my sourcing agent and then she'll figure out who to talk to and cut out all the middlemen and, and make it that all work. Um you know, it's definitely a benefit that she also is, I'm not her only client. So she works with other clients. So yeah. sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll refer her something and she'd be like, oh, I already deal with this factory for a different client. Uh, let me talk to them. And then obviously there's a rapport, there's better pricing because they're already used to dealing with her. Um, so it makes it easier to get things started a lot of times. I've even seen a wide variety of pricing, like in brokers from the United States, uh, you know, you reach out to them and they're like, yeah, we can source this for you. And mm -hmm. And then you reach out to like one other one and the prices are so like in my experience have been so different yeah. uh, from two us based brokers. And like, it makes me think, I'm like, man, did this one guy just like put out an RFQ on Alibaba or something like that? Like, yeah. you know, I can do that. I don't, I don't need someone else to do that for me. I mean, everyone's, uh, everyone's taking money off of uh, the orders. Right. You know, everyone is, um, I, you know, I, I, when I switched to my current agent, uh, I had her, and I think everyone should do this. I, I basically had her audit my current suppliers okay, and, and just be like, get me quotes for products I already sell. And I think everyone should do that every, every couple of years just to keep everything honest and see what's going on. Uh, but she went in and she got me quotes and I, you know, I went back and looked and I was like, the, for which is one of my products, I was like, we're going to make an extra $10,000 a year just on, on this one product and the, and the discount wasn't even that much. Uh, it was, but it was like just enough where it was like, this compounds over selling in the U S selling in Europe. Um, so yeah, it's, it definitely pays. So you had a product you already get, you sourced through someone else or you sourced mm -hmm. on your my own. previous, my previous sourcing agent. Yeah. Okay. And then, so you had a different sourcing agent hit up the fat, the same factory and get a quote. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's definitely a good tip. Did and you, different factories, yeah. Okay. Did you meet your agent like while you were in China, the one that you're currently working with? I actually didn't. I wasn't actually with her on my last trip. I was with my previous agent still, but I knew of her and we had been talking and I, I actually got her contact from someone else who's now in the group, but I'd known before either of us were in MDS. Um, and he was telling me I should switch to her and I like didn't want to. And then I was like, all right, fine, I'm, I'm ready for this. <laughs> and then I did. And it was like, what have I been waiting for? I've, I've, this is so much better. And, and, you know, she's helped negotiate better terms and um, yeah. And help really helps on that end and really push suppliers and make sure that, that orders are going through and making sure we're getting containers, which is now a thing too. That's a problem. Um, so she's really done just so much for our business. Nice.
Yeah, I kind of ended up circling back to someone I met through MDS Mm -hmm. uh, a couple years ago. And, you know, at first I'm one of those guys who like it just like it seemed too good to be true. Right. Like somebody says, yeah, you should contact this person and you contact them and like it goes really well. And uh, then I was like, man, well, maybe I can do better. You know, maybe I can do a little bit. Right. right. I tried and I tried and uh, we just had him do another product for us. And. Uh, he beat the quote by like 70% or something oh, like, wow. something yeah. ridiculous that I was that, you know, that I had gotten quoted and he beat it by a significant amount. And he also handles like all the logistics, you know, I can have everything shipped through him and photography yeah. done through him and all yeah, that. that that's stuff. definitely helped a lot too, because sometimes uh, if we have to send like a less than container, she'd be able to combine that with other clients she has yep. and save us all a bunch of money. Yeah, that is a huge deal right there. Absolutely. So we've kind of we've kind of talked a little bit about MDS, you know, mentioned that we we met some people in here and it's helped mm-hmm. the business a little bit. But, uh, you know, what are like one or two things that stick out to you that, you know, MDS really provides value wise or maybe even something specific that they've really helped you with? Um, so I would say, number one, t- to me, running these kinds of businesses, especially ourselves, is a bit of like a solo endeavor that we've all undertaken and it can be lonely and it's hard to, to find people who are, you know, feeling your pain and doing what you're doing, um, at least for a while. Um, and it's one of the reasons why, you know, I run the New York Amazon seller meetup group, uh, which is a free group that we run for people in New York to just, uh, meet up with other sellers. We get all kinds of sellers, big sellers, small sellers, we get great content. Um, but, but it's just really that networking is really the main reason why, uh, I run it, uh, because it really is a very like kind of solo endeavor and and joining MDS. Um, and I knew a lot of people in MDS before I even joined, but joining it just makes it that like, whenever you have people to talk to, I talk to people from MDS every single day, people who I met in MDS, uh, who really are in the same shoes that I'm in, who have the same problems, the same issues, who are just you know really great people, but it really the people in there really feel like they're like we're all kind of one and the same. We're all kind of similar people in that regard, um, and it's really great to just meet people where I'm like I found my people um, yeah. and be able to talk to them and, and really commiserate with them and and strategize and get ideas and and things like that. Where uh, before I was in MDS, it was a lot harder to do so. Um, you know, every time I had a problem, it was just like me trying to solve it myself or contacting like the four people that I knew now, you know, I've got an archive of posts to dig through. I've got friends to contact people who I know have issues or, um, they know people or, or sometimes people know it's just, yeah, it's really just made it so much easier to really run my business. Um, and I guess even through the networking, I'll say, um, the, the ability to kind of see preferred, preferred providers. Um, there's a lot of people out there selling terrible services, I'll say, Um, and being able to try to find someone to do a job and being able to search or talk to people and be like, okay, this guy's good. This is a good 3PL. This is a good, has saved just countless amount of of hours and dollars and everything just to know that like, even if I don't like them, they're at least on the short list of someone else. So I've already narrowed it down quite a bit past like just trying random people that I've found myself uh, on the internet. Yeah, I love the the trust factor inside of MDS. It's like you get a recommendation from someone. Maybe you haven't even necessarily like actually spoken with them yet, but you yeah. see that they recommended somebody on a post and 
it's almost like instantly, you know, that, Hey, this person is going to, it's going to be a good shot at providing what I need or exactly, you know, this plan of action that they use to beat a case is going to work for me and I'm going to try it out. Um, yeah, I love that trust factor inside of MDS. And it's like, you can almost instantly connect, uh, with any of them and you hop on a phone or hop on a zoom call with them. And it's, it kind of feels like, you know, them already a little bit. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Or see them at any of the events. Yeah, man. I'm, uh, ah, I know you're not able to make it, but I'm excited for the event coming up in Mexico I'm, yeah. uh, this month, but, um, I'm really sad. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll definitely miss you there, man. I know we yeah. got some more plans. So, uh, you know, hopefully things will normalize here soon and we'll get back to meeting in person pretty regularly. Yeah, for sure. So what's on the, uh, what's on the horizon for your business, man? Are you working towards a sale? Like, are you just growing more and more and more? Like what, what's the, what's the exit strategy? Yeah. I'm, 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 like I said, I'm at a crossroads, so I'm kind of at a point where I'm deciding if I'm going to lead towards a sale or grow my team further or both, uh, cause both are definitely possible. So uh, I'm really kind of on the fence about all of that. And I'm kind of feeling out my options on all regards and seeing, uh, you know, what I'd be worth on the open market and what it would be worth to, to keep going. So okay. kind of in the middle. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, definitely uh, wish you the best of luck with all that stuff, Thanks. man. I definitely look forward to seeing, you know, what route you go and and how it works out for you. Um, before we, before we sign off, what's uh, one big piece of advice you would give to anyone that's, that's listening to the podcast? Um. I guess my, my big piece of advice is really networking is probably the most important thing you can do for your business uh, in every regard. So, you know, I, I would really work hard on that. And because people have answers to problems you don't, you can help other people too. Um, people, you know, like I said, people know who to contact for problems. Like it, it's just joining MDS has really just accelerated our business so rapidly from those regards that I, I would never be in the position I'm in now if I was still doing this on my own. Nice, man. Yeah, it's definitely a good piece of advice. I, uh, it took me a while to figure that out. You know, I used to try and do everything myself, keep things to myself. But when you really open up to other people, like what become, what is possible changes like exponentially uh, exactly. when you start to include other people in your life and your business. Uh, and I've definitely seen that play out uh, over time, man, it's been great to see that. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for coming on, Brandon. It was great chatting with you, man. Thanks for all the great information you shared about your Amazon business. I think there's a lot of, uh, good tips that you shared that people could take action on and, uh, really see some benefit from, uh, is there, if anybody wants to reach out to you, is there somewhere they can find you to, uh, talk a little more with you? Sure. Um, I'll give, I can give out my uh, email. I'm happy to give out my personal one. I don't care. Uh, call me Brandon, C-A-L-L-M-E-B-R-A-N-D-O-N at gmail.com. Uh, if anyone is in the New York area and wants to join our uh, New York meetup group, it's free. I don't know when the next event will be, but just look for the New York Amazon seller, uh, intermediate advanced uh, Amazon sellers on uh, meetup. Uh, and the conference we run AMZ innovate, uh, will hopefully be happening in the fall. So, um, look for me there as well. All right, Brandon. Well, thank you for your time. It was great chatting with you Yeah. and I'll talk to you again soon, man. Thank Sounds you. Sounds great. All right. Thank you. 
Are you a million dollar seller looking to network with like-minded entrepreneurs? Apply for membership now at milliondollarsellers.com. Leave us a review and subscribe now so you don't miss out on next week's episode.